It's Tuesday. You know what that means. It's time for the best and brightest moment of your week. It's time for that show you love and that show that you seek. It's time for nonsense. 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 The show. The best damn show you know. He was living in a single room with three other individuals. One of them was a male and the other two, well, the other two were females. God only knows what they were up to in there. And furthermore, Susan, I wouldn't be the least bit surprised to learn that all four of them habitually smoke marijuana cigarettes. Reefers. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Nonsense 224, episode 24, season 2. It's the 420 edition because it just so happens that uh, this show falls on Tuesday, April 20th. So uh, listen to Sublime for just a minute, huh? I smoke two joints in the morning. I smoke two joints at night. I smoke two joints in the afternoon. It makes me feel all right. I smoke two joints in time of peace and two in time of war. I smoke two joints before I smoke two joints and then I smoke two more. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Nonsense the Show. As always, my name is Captain Nick. I'm your friend. I am your amigo. I am your compadre. And uh, for the next hour or so, I will be your court jester, your dancing clown. I will be your entertainment. Thank you so much for joining me. And thank you for spending an hour of your life with me every single week right here on Nonsense the Show. It's the best damn show you know. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, I do appreciate it. Um, <clears throat> here we are. I mean, it's time to start the show. Let's see how it goes. Last week, I, I was not too confident about the show. Uh, a couple of people said it was good. I appreciate that very much. Um, I listened back. I was not uh, I was not disappointed. Like it was, it was better than I expected. So that's a very good thing. Uh, so <laughs> just for those of you that, uh, pardon me, <coughs> dry throat already. Just for those of you that were uh, wondering about the cliffhanger I left at the end of last week's episode. <laughs> Sip a beer for the working man on four twenty. Everybody knows that four twenty is the uh, the official stoner holiday. There's a lot of theories about where it came from and why it came to be and why 420. And uh, I'm here tonight to solve those debates that you've had since you were a child, back in high school, middle school, or who even knows. You and your friends would debate, oh, we all know about 420, but where to come from? Oh, I heard it was a police code for marijuana. Oh, I heard it was this. I heard it was that. Well, guess what? I'm going to tell you the real truth tonight. I'm going to tell you the real, no bullshit, honest to God, historical truth, because that's what nonsense the show is all about. Dang. Yep, that's what I'm talking about. Um, ladies and gentlemen, it, it's, uh, it's just nice to be back. I really enjoy the show. Um, it's very, very exciting. Welcome. Uh, okay. Yeah. Hi. Thank you. Don't rush me, big boy. Okay, you interrupted me. Okay. I'm not the one that interrupted you. Wow. <laughs> wow. All I can say is wow. Okay. That's just, I mean, that's bullshit. Like you interrupted me. I was getting the show going and then you got to fucking jump in with this bullshit. You're mocking me, aren't you? No, I'm not mocking you. You're mocking me. Why are you mocking me? I tell you, I don't get no respect. No oh. respect at all. Oh, my God. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, as always, I am joined by my co-hosts, uh, the friendly, if mischievous, spirits that live in my computer. Kiss my okay. entire ass. Just once, do you think maybe we could do a family show? Just one time? Do you think maybe we could do a show that like would be good for people to listen to with their kids around? Do you think that would be something that's like... That's possible? English, motherfucker, do you speak it? Shut up and start talking. Okay, okay, ignoring it. Ignoring it, moving on with the show. Tonight I'm going to tell you about the official no bullshit origins of 420. Um, I'm going to tell you uh, the first official entry into our Micronation series. This is for you, Emily. This is for you, Lee. This is for you, Maverick. Um, I'm going to tell you about the tiny island nation, one of the originators of the micronation, 
uh, concept and certainly one of the most successful. I'm going to tell you about the story of Sealand. That's right. And uh, if there's time, I'll tell you about a lost city of gold that they found in Egypt. No big deal. Uh, just a little entry into our treasure series. Uh, what else am I going to tell you about? Just some shit that's going on in my life. Uh, I'm going to give you a hot take about a word that I really, really like. I'm going to tell you about what I've been watching. We're going to talk a little bit about Harold and Kumar go to White Castle because it's a stoner holiday. We got to talk about a stoner movie. Um, and we'll see what else comes up. It's, you know, I try not to overplan the shows because when I do, it gets really boring and I can tell halfway through and then I kind of panic and then the whole show falls apart. Um, so what I do is try to do just enough planning that then I can improvise based on my planning. Does that make sense? Okay. Good talk. Nobody gives a shit. Well, no shit. <sighs> Seriously? Okay. Okay. <laughs> Let's just get into it. Um, oh, you know, and of course, along the way, we'll be doing some music. Um, we'll have, we'll have all kinds of good stuff going on. So I hope you guys are ready. Hope you're excited. I know I sure am. Um, before we get going though, excuse me for just a minute here. Let me just, uh, let me, there it is. Okay. Before we get going, I want to take just a minute to thank those of you that have taken the time to sponsor Nonsense the Show, Captain Nick, and all of my various creative endeavors on patreon.com backslash nonsense the show. The link is in my Instagram bio. The address is in the description of this episode. Um, Patreon is a way for you to provide financial support to me for creating this content. Um, as you would with any um, entertainment that adds value to your life. You want to make sure that you're, uh, you're supporting those artists, supporting those people. Believe it or not, this is classified as art. I am an artist. Uh, you know, do what you will with, uh, do what you will with that. <laughs> uh, Patreon.com allows you to decide how much or how little you are going to donate to me. I have it set up right now on a per episode basis. You will have no more than four monetized episodes per month. So if you choose the $5 option, it'll be $5 four times a month. But you can set a cap on that. You can say, I only want to spend $10 total a month. Boom, done. Get charged once a month. You'll know exactly when it's going to come out so you can plan for it. And that money goes directly to me, helps me out, helps me achieve my goal of taking a massive life-changing voyage uh, next year or as soon as humanly possible. And it helps me feel like I'm doing something productive with my life, getting paid for my art, which everybody knows every artist wants to get paid for their art so that they are no longer a starving artist, even though nobody would confuse my fat ass for being starving. <laughs> <laughs> all right ladies and gentlemen nonsense the show episode 224 off to an excellent start and uh i think we're just gonna take a minute before we get into the origins of 420 we're gonna vibe out with the man himself mr rick james and an ode uh, a love song an ode to mary jane Take it away, Mr. James. It's all yours. Do it, baby. course as any good radio dj does i took that musical break to uh, refresh my beverage <clears throat> sip a beer to the working man um as always nonsense the show is brought to you by you the supporters of nonsense on patreon.com and more importantly my friends down there in paso robles california at paso wine shine uh, they don't sell weed, but they sell, they sell booze, and that's delicious, too. Give them a call. Buy some booze. Tell them I sent you. Um, and then they'll send me some, too. And then everybody wins. 
Thanks so much, Pat. Thanks so much, Paso Wineshine. Thanks so much, Ten City Distillery. Thank you, Mr. James. Shut your mouth. Um, <clears throat> I'll tell you what, y'all. I did a lot of looking uh, through stoner playlists as I was preparing for this show. And I love stoner music. And that will come as no shock to anybody who knows me. So now it's time for me to quit teasing you, quit tickling the taint, as it were, and tell you all about the origins of 420. In a story that I'm entitling 420, an origin story. I wrote two stories, and then I forgot to delete the first one. Contrary to popular belief, the now universal marijuana culture shorthand, 420, the basis of today's April 20th unofficial National Weed Day High Holiday. Uh, I see what they did there. High Holiday. Get it? It has nothing to do with police codes, Bob Dylan, Tea Time in Amsterdam, or what hotel room the Grateful Dead like to stay in. Anybody who tells you that those things is a misinformed stoner. It all started... Back in 1971 with a group of five friends, athletes at San Rafael High School. Very near where I grew up, born and raised. Uh, Dubbed the Waldos because they hung out near a wall on the edge of campus. They just hung out and chilled by the wall. So they became the Waldos. I love it. You got to name your gangs, guys. If you're going to have a group of people, you got to name them. You don't name your gang, you're not even fucking doing it right. According to Ryan Grimm in a report for the Huffington Post, the Waldos were tipped off that a Coast Guard member had a pot garden in the woods near the Point Reyes Peninsula Coast, uh, Peninsula Coast Guard Station. Armed with a vague treasure map in hand, they agreed to meet after practice at the school statue of Louis Pasteur at exactly 4.20 p.m. We'd meet at 4.20 and get in my old 66 Chevy Impala, and of course, we'd smoke instantly and smoke all the way out to Point Reyes and smoke the entire time we were out there. Uh, an original Waldo member named Steve told Grimm, we did it week after week, and we never actually found the marijuana patch. <laughs> Quite an adventure, though, even if unsuccessful. Shorthand for their herbal treasure hunt soon emerged. The Waldos say they originally called the meeting a 420 Louie. Excuse me, 420 Louie. But that, it eventually dropped to 420. And they have a 420 flag and references and postmarked letters to stake their claim. So they have the paperwork to back it up. They brought the fucking receipts. uh, Well enough to convince both the New York Times and the Urban Legend Buster website, Snopes.com, of the veracity of their claim. Unsurprisingly, the Waldos found their secret code incredibly useful and continued to use it long after their search meetings ended. Uh, I could say to one of my friends, I'd go, hey, 420. And it was telepathic. He would know what I was saying. Uh, Hey, you want to go smoke some? Or, uh, hey, do you have any? Or, hey, are you stoned right now? Uh, It it was kind of telepathic just from the way you said it. Uh, Waldo Steve said uh, in the Huffington Post, our teachers didn't know what we were talking about, and our parents didn't know what we were talking about. But instead of remaining a local stoner lingo, the term took on a life of its own when counterculture legends, the Grateful Dead, moved to San Rafael from San Francisco. Several of the Waldos had connections to the band. One's father was a groundskeeper for them. Another had a brother who managed one of the dead side bands, too loose to truck. And several of the Waldos would hang out at dead parties and rehearsals. No one recalled saying 420 around the band to Grimm, but the phrase somehow made, it, made its way through the fervent Grateful Dead subculture over the next two decades. It was outside a Dead concert in December of 1990 when High Times reporter Stephen Bloom first heard the term. A flyer in the hippie central parking lot read, We are going to meet at 420 on 420 for 420-ing in Marin County at the Bolinas Ridge Sunset Spot on Mount Tamalpais. And continued with a half-correct explanation. 420 started somewhere in San Rafael. Uh, in San Rafael, California, in the late 70s. It started as the police code for marijuana smoking in progress. After local heads heard of the police call, they started using the expression 420 when referring to herb. Let's go 420, dude! According to Snopes, no police department has ever used radio call code 420 for anything, much less a marijuana-related offense. Um, And I was a cop in California, um, and 420... There was a 422, and now I can't remember what it was. Something to do with terroristic threats, I think. 
have to look it up. Definitely nothing to do with weed. Uh, <laughs> with Bloom's discovery of 420 published uh, in 1991, the term soon went global. Several clocks in Pulp Fiction read 420. The scoreboard in Dazed and Confused, uh, Confused showed the score to be 42 to 0. And the act that codified the legislation of mar- or the legalization rather of marijuana in California was issued as SB 420. April 20th is the official unofficial pot smokers holiday where thousands show up at 420 rallies on college campuses like the University of Colorado Boulder and the University of California Santa Cruz. The latter less than 90 miles from the original Louis Pasteur statue that was the starting point of it all. So there's the real story. You can thank the Waldos and you can thank the Grateful Dead for 420 being a national, international, worldwide, historical code word for blazing it up. Um, and I actually have a personal connection to that origin story. And I, I, when I was in high school, you couldn't just go online and find out what the true story was. It was all rumors. It was all, you know, still kind of just word of mouth stuff. And I remember sitting there with my buddy and his mom and his, and, and his dad, who were both like kind of hippie-ish, like awesome hippie-ish folks, grew up in Marin County, like definitely lived through the movement and all that shit. Well, his mom told me once, um, still one of the coolest ladies I've ever known in my life. Uh, she told me once we were sitting there having lunch or chilling or whatever. And she was telling stories about how she in high school hung out with a group of guys that were the originators of 420. And she would tell us like, yeah, they started doing it because they would hang out on this wall. They were called the Waldos and they would go on some treasure hunt or something. And, uh, so it just became the thing. And then we all started saying it and then it just grew from there. And I remember hearing it at the time being like, yeah, that's probably bullshit, but it's a cool story. And, you know, it kind of fits because she definitely went to school there at the time. Um, And then now that I know the true story, because it's come straight from the mouths of the Waldos with receipts to prove it, um, it's kind of dope to find out that Don was telling the truth. So uh, shouts to Don. Blaze it up. (laughs) Oh, lordy, lordy. So there you go, guys. That's the origins of 420. What have I been watching lately? As you guys know, I like to share with you the things I've been watching, the things I find entertaining, in the hopes that I will provide for you a new show, documentary, movie, experience that you may not have found on your own. Uh, The world of media tends to be pretty isolated and bubbleized and balkanized these days, so I want to do my best to share with you what I find in the hopes that you will share with me what you find, and then we will all get to see cool shit. Um, This week, I started re-watching... Um, just because I wanted something that I had seen before, but you know, something that, well, you know, required a little bit of thinking. Um, I started rewatching, uh, the first season of the HBO TV show, Barry, um, which is, uh, it stars Bill Hader, as you probably know him from Saturday night live. He was in the opening scene of pineapple express. He's been in all kinds of shit. He's fucking amazing. One of my favorite comedians working today, writer for South park for a number of years. Um, Bill Hader stars as a, uh, a Marine veteran who now works as a hitman. And it's this really interesting kind of dark comedy where it, it plays with the fact that Barry kind of wants out of this life. He's, he's got the, the trauma and the PTSD and it's affecting him, but the people around him won't kind of won't let him out. He's kind of stuck in the life through a job. He finds this acting class and kind of finds like it's a way out. It's an outlet for him. So he gets into it. You got Henry Winkler in it. You got, uh, oh, shit, Stephen Root, uh, who you'll know from uh, Office Space, King of the Hill, Dodgeball, a whole bunch of other great stuff. He's phenomenal. Um, <clears throat> and and then you kind of have, he's living this dual life where he's trying to hang out with these kind of sheltered actor people who are very vain, very self-absorbed, very caught up in their own stuff. And he's fighting all of his demons and his job, trying to hide it from his acting friends. Um, it's a whole kind of play, and it's really, really fun. They really play the humor in it well. Um, it's just kind of a, I haven't seen a lot of shows like it. And the second season ends up getting even better. Um, my favorite character in the whole fucking show is a guy who works for the Chechen gangs that has hired Barry to complete a job. His name is Noho Hank, for North Hollywood Hank. And he's one of my favorite characters on television in the last 10 years. Uh, that's all I'm going to tell you. You can look up, you know, the clips, some uh, best of clips of NoHo Hank if you want. It'll kind of give you an idea. Um, highly recommend if you can get access to it on HBO. Check out Barry with Bill Hader, Stephen Root, Henry Winkler, and uh, whoever the guys that plays NoHo Hank, who's fucking great. 
Big fan of Barry. Um, I think uh, season three should be coming out this year sometime, but I don't know that for sure. Um, okay, here's something a little personal. You guys want to get personal for a minute? Um, I didn't think it was going to happen so fast, but uh, I was able to get my uh, first run, first shot of the COVID vaccine uh, last week on Friday. And it was an interesting process. Like I didn't, you know, I kind of knew what to expect, but I, you know, went and got it done. It was like 45 minutes total. No big deal. Easy peasy. Um, but I remember just like surprisingly to me, uh, I'm in the, the veterans hall kind of gym rec room area. They got the chairs all spaced out. They got a bunch of nurses kind of working little sec, little sections and they come give you the shot real quick after you do all your intake shit going through the line. Um, it's like a really, really lame Disneyland line. Cause you wind through this whole property talk to a couple different people along the way, like people in line are chatting with each other. You got your masks on and you're standing on the little dots on the ground. And then finally you get in the building and you kind of go through this windy little hallway until you get into the gym area, sit down in your chair, they give you the shot and they go, all right, you got to wait 15 minutes to make sure there's no side effects. Okay. You know, I should have brought a book or something like, damn it. <laughs> and of course there's no cell phone reception. So that's all right. So I'm just chilling watching so i got the shot it was all good i didn't expect too many problems with the first one because i've heard the second one is really where people start feeling sick just having a couple days worth of not feeling great but um i was sitting there quietly got my mask on just kind of chilling in my own thoughts and i got a little bit emotional like it was this moment of like holy shit like it's been a really long really hard year the last few months especially for me i've been really fucking lonely like really, really desperately lonely, which is not a feeling I'm used to. And the closer we got to vaccine time, the more kind of nervous I got with some of my health issues. I don't really want to fuck around too much with COVID. Um, and so it was like, there was just kind of this, like I retreated into my shell a little bit and you know, there's not a whole lot of people nearby me that I see regularly. Um, so it, it just kind of, it's got really hard lately. It's been really, it's just, just straight up. It's been really fucking hard. Um, and I'm getting through and I'm doing fine and I got things to look forward to. And I just kind of need to get through the hard times right now, you know, as we all do, the sun will rise. Boom, boom, done, done. But after I got that first shot, I had this moment where I sat there and I got a little teary eyed in a good way. And I just thought like, holy shit, like, I mean, we're almost through the worst of it. You know, certainly there's still things to be worried about. There's still a lot of work to do. There's still a lot of debates and discussions and whatever going on. But, like, once I'm vaccinated, my world opens up a little bit. Like, I can be around people safely again, and that's pretty fucking wild. Like, I'm I'm looking forward to that. I know there's going to be some nerves about it just because it's been a weird fucking year, but um, I'm really looking forward to that, and especially for what that means, which is time to start uh, selling my stuff and, getting the last of my money together and, you know, doing my planning and getting passports and visas in order because, uh, soon as it's possible, I may not even wait till next year if it's realistic, but, uh, I'm getting the fuck out of here. You guys will find out about that on season three of nonsense, the show. (laughs) Um, Hey, do you guys, let me see. Hang on. You guys probably wouldn't mind if I gave you a hot take right now, right? <laughs> I was watching some videos on YouTube the other day. I can't remember what they were. Um, and it occurred to me that a word that I have been pretty disdainful of for a few years has come around and is something that I actually really like. There's a word out there that I guess it would be like a, like a Gen Z word. I think this is like a TikTok kind of Vine generation sort of word. And it just it just wasn't one that I was exposed to all that much, and I recently uh, you know started being exposed to it more. And I gotta tell you, I I fucking love the word yeet. You know the word I'm talking about? Yeet, yeet. Like it means to throw something. Like I'm just gonna pick up my phone and yeet it through the window. I'm gonna yeet myself out of this chair and onto the fucking ground. Hey, yeet me a burrito, bitch. Like it just means throw something, usually violently, usually like. Not violent, but like aggressively, like fast, hard, enthusiastically. And I see a lot of people using the word yeet. And it took me a while to warm up to it. But I got to tell you, I really look forward to yeet being a common word because it's a really useful one. And it's entertaining. And it's funny. It's a funny word. It's got funny vowel sounds. 
you know, uh, just yeet. Say the word yeet and try not to smile. You know what I mean? Pick something up and huck it and say yeet when you do it. You know, like yeet. And it just, <laughs> just makes, you, makes you happy. So uh, that's my hot take tonight. The word yeet is a valuable addition to the English language. Whoever invented it should be given a medal and a taco platter. And uh, we should name a street after them. Maybe a bridge, but like a bridge where it's safe for people to yeet stuff off of it. That'd be cool, right? <laughs> oh, Kenny Rogers is here, guys. He stepped in tonight. He just wants to give us a little bit of a musical interlude from the Big Lebowski. This is a song called Just Dropped In. And it's one of my favorites. I woke up this morning with the sun down Shining in I found my mind In a brown paper bag But then I tripped on a cloud And fell eight miles high I tore my mind On a jagged sky I just dropped in To see what condition My condition was in Yeah, yeah my condition was in I pushed my soul in a deep dark hole and then I followed it in I watched myself crawling out as I was crawling in I got up so tight I couldn't unwind I saw so much I broke my mind I just dropped in To see what condition my Oh, thank you, Mr. Rogers Ladies and gentlemen, that song, of course, from the Big Lebowski Mr. Kenny Rogers Just dropped in To see what condition my condition was in It's just one of those songs that, like It just makes you want to vibe, you know? And tonight, it's marijuana night. It's all about vibing. That's what we do on marijuana night. We fucking vibe. And now, after weeks and weeks of teasing and foreplay and taunting and mockery, it's time for me to tell you about your first micronation. And I hope you guys are excited because I know I sure am. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for me, Captain Nick, to give you, the listeners of Nonsense the Show, the story of Sealand. During the Second World War, the British government built several fortress islands in the North Sea to defend its coasts from German invaders. Some of these forts ended up being built just a little bit illegally in international waters. Like international waters went out three miles from the British coast. Uh, Like that was British waters and then it was international and they kind of built some of these things like seven miles out. It's only like double. It's not that big of a deal. One of these illegal fortresses, consisting of concrete and steel construction, was the famous Fort Ruff's Tower, situated slightly north of the estuary region of the River Thames, on the east coast of the United Kingdom. In contrast to the original plan to locate the tower within the sovereign territory of the UK, this fortress was situated at a distance of approximately seven nautical miles from the coast. This is more than double the then-applicable three-mile range of territorial waters. I just said that, but then I read it because I was, I got ahead of myself. (laughs) To put it briefly, this island was situated in the international waters of the North Sea. The forts were abandoned in the early 1950s, and due to their illegal construction in international waters, in a time of world crisis, they should have been destroyed to comply with international law. Except for the aforementioned fortress, similarly located ones were subsequently pulled down. Only a few... Uh, kind of slipped through the cracks. The result, the results of this. Oh, forgive me. This is a this is a piece that I took directly from the Sealand website, um, and so this is told from a decidedly biased point of view. And forgive the superfluous language. This is something the original prince of Sealand, uh, Roy Bates, wrote for himself. So this is in his own words. Except for the aforementioned fortress, similarly located fortresses were subs- subsequently pulled down. The result of this was the portentous uniqueness of the fortress. Fort Ruff's Tower, situated on the high seas, had been deserted and abandoned. Res derelicta and terra nullius. 
From a legal point of view, it therefore constituted extra national territory. And what all that mumbo jumbo means is that this guy, Mr. Roy Bates, Major Roy Bates, that is to you, he decided that this particular fort, Fort Ruff's Tower, belonged to nobody. It was fair game. Nobody owns it. Nobody's responsible for it. Nobody's claimed it. It's just sitting there ripe for the picking. In the early 60s, Roy Bates, a major in the British Army, established a radio station situated offshore on an abandoned ex-naval fort named Knockjohn. The theory behind this location was an attempt to bypass the draconian broadcasting restrictions of the time, which permitted little more than, a formal, uh, little more than formal broadcasting by the BBC. Roy's station, Radio Essex, and others like it were known affectionately by the media as pirate radio stations. So, of course, you know I love them. And were much loved by the British public, as they supplied everything that the BBC did not at the time. Pop music and amusing presenters. Sounds a lot like nonsense of the show, doesn't it? hey In the years that ensued, Roy fought an unsuccessful legal battle with the UK government, which questioned the legality of his occupation of said fort. It was ruled that Knock John fell under UK jurisdiction. Smarting from this setback, Roy weighed his options. Another abandoned fortress, Ruff's Tower, identical in construction to the Knockjohn, uh, Knock existed further offshore, and crucially, outside of the three-mile limit to which UK jurisdiction extended. Roy proceeded to occupy Ruff's Tower, uh, forcibly evicting another pirate radio station on Christmas Eve 1966, with the intention of revitalizing his dormant radio station. Uh, this was uh, until he conjured a different plan entirely. After consulting his lawyers, uh, Roy decided to declare this fortress island the independent state of Sealand, claiming just gentium of uh, the law of nations over a part of the globe that was terra nullius, nobody's land. On the 2nd of September 1967, accompanied by his wife Joan on her birthday, his son Michael, 14, his daughter Penelope, 16, and several friends and followers, Roy declared the Principality of Sealand. Uh, Roy declared the Principality of Sealand. The founding of this country was marked by the raising of a newly designed flag and an extremely romantic birthday gesture, the bestowing of a new title on his beloved wife, to be known from that moment on as Princess Joan. Of course, soon enough there was a challenge to their sovereignty. It was not long before the British government decided they could not have what ministers described as a possible Cuba off the east coast of England. The military were promptly dispatched to destroy all other remaining forts located in international waters. The Bates family looked on as huge explosions sent the massive structures hurtling hundreds of feet in the air, and twisted and buckled debris floated past sea land for days. Helicopters that had carried the explosive buzzed menacingly above, and a Navy tug carrying the demolition crew passed close by our fortress home and shouted, You're next! with an angry waving of arms. A while later, a government vessel steamed to within 50 feet of Sealand, its boisterous crew shouting threatening obscenities at Michael and his 16-year-old sister. Warning shots were promptly fired across the bow of the boat by Prince Michael, causing it to hastily turn and race away towards the U.K., amongst a large cloud of black engine smoke. <laughs> so the 14-year-old boy defended his home country uh, with arms and, and shot off a government vessel, which I think ended up being just a survey crew. Um, I think there was a, a dispute from the government side about what that event uh, actually looked like. <laughs> Since Roy was still a British citizen, a summons was issued under the UK Firearms Act, and on the 25th of November 1968, Roy and Michael found themselves in the dock of the Crown Court of Chelmsford Assizes in Essex. That's a couple of weird words. There was much argument, and laws dating back to the 17th century were called upon. The judge concluded that this is a swashbuckling incident, perhaps more akin to the time of Sir Francis Drake, but it is my judgment uh, that the UK courts have no jurisdiction. This was, of course, Sealand's first de facto official recognition. It wasn't all sunshine and roses for Sealand, though. In August of 1978, Alexander Achenbach, who describes himself as the Prime Minister of Sealand, hired several German and Dutch mercenaries to lead an attack on Sealand, while Bates and his wife were in England. So he waited 
uh, until the, the crown prince and princess were away and then staged his sneaky, uh, underhanded attack. Achenbach had disagreed with Bates over plans to turn Sealand into a luxury hotel and casino with fellow German and Dutch businessmen. He and his men stormed the platform with speedboats, jet skis, and helicopters and took Bates' son Michael hostage. It's like straight out of an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. Michael was able to retake Sealand and capture Achenbach and the mercenaries using weapons stashed on the platform. So hang on just a second. This jackwagon who claims to be the prime minister decides, I'm going to hire some mercenaries. We're going to get speedboats and jet skis and helicopters, and we're going to go storm this platform that's got a 14-year-old kid and his 16-year-old sister on it. They take the 14-year-old hostage, but somehow he gets loose and gets to his weapon stash, which he has previously used to defend Sealand against a vicious government survey boat uh, who waved their arms menacingly at him, and he fights back against the mercenaries. Get the fuck out of here! Achenbach, a German lawyer who held a Sealand passport, was charged with treason against Sealand and was held unless he paid uh, more than 35000 U.S. dollars. Germany, of course, sent a diplomatic envoy from its London embassy, embassy to Sealand to negotiate for Achenbach's release. So Sealand, of course, took a bad situation and turned it into a benefit because now they have an official government representative of a major nation negotiating with them on even terms. Isn't that something? Way to fuck that up, Mr. Achenbach, you dick, dick, dick. <laughs> My brain froze up in the middle of that word. Um, <clears throat> all right. So uh, Germany sent a diplomat, blah, 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 blah. Roy Bates relented after several weeks of negotiations and sub- subsequently claimed that the diplomat... Mm, stand by. Sip a beer to loosen my throat and get my brain back on track. Ah. Roy Bates relented after several weeks of negotiations and subsequently claimed that the diplomats' visit constituted de facto recognition of Sealand by Germany. So there it is. That's taking a negative and turning it into a positive right away. And that's a pretty damn big positive for a place like Sealand. Following the former's repatriation, Achenbach and Gernot Putz established a government in exile, sometimes known as the Sealand Rebel Government or the Sealandic Rebel Government in Germany. In 1987, the United Kingdom extended its territorial waters to 12 nautical miles offshore. Sealand now sits in waters internationally recognized as British. In 1997, the Bates family revoked all all of the approximately 150,000 official Sealand passports, including those that they themselves had issued over the previous 22 years. Uh, This drastic action was taken due to the realization that an international money laundering ring had appeared, using the sale of fake Sealand passports to finance drug trafficking and money laundering from Russia and Iraq. So, they finished the hostage situation, they've got some official recognition from Germany, they're feeling pretty fucking good, and then they find out that not only is there a rebel government, but there's a fucking money laundering ring using our passports? Oh shit. The ringleaders of the operation, based in Madrid, but with ties to various groups in Germany, <clears throat> including the rebel Sealand government in exile established by Achenbach after the attempted 1978 coup, had used fake Sealandic diplomatic immunity and license plates. They were even reported to have sold 4,000 fake Sealandic passports to Hong Kong citizens for an estimated $1,000 each, which in 1978 was a pretty freaking penny. In 2015, Michael Bates asserts that Sealand's population is normally like two people. <laughs> uh, everything was pretty, pretty, pretty good for a while. They had a couple of quiet decades. Not too much exciting happened. And then in 2006, uh, on the afternoon of Ju- uh, June 23rd, 2006, the top pla- uh, platform of the Ruffs Tower caught fire due to an electrical fault. A Royal Air Force rescue helicopter transferred one person to Ipswich Hospital directly from the tower. The Harwich lifeboat stood by the Ruffs Tower until a local fire tug extinguished the fire. All damage was repaired by November of that year. So they had a little fire, and now in a drastic turn of events, uh, because of that territorial water extension uh, back in the 80s, uh, Britain sends out some help. 
They get a rescue helicopter. They get a tugboat. They get a fireboat. It's a nice situation. In January 2007, the Pirate Bay, an online index of digital content of uh, entertainment, media, and software, founded by the Swedish think tank Pirate Biron, attempted to purchase Sealand after harsher copyright measures in Sweden forced them to look for a base of operations elsewhere. Between 2007 and 2010, Sealand was offered for sale through the Spanish estate company Imo Naranja at an asking price of 750 million euro, which is approximately 906 million U.S. dollars. So for a billion dollars, you could own your own rusty old sea tower and call it a country, if that appeals to you. Uh, irrespective of its legal status, Sealand is managed by the Bates family as if it were a recognized sovereign entity, and they are its hereditary royal rulers. Roy Bates styled himself as Prince Roy and his wife as Princess Joan. Their son is known as His Royal Highness Prince Michael and has been referred to as the Prince Regent by the Bates family since 1999. In this role, he apparently serves as Sealand's acting head of state and also its head of government. Uh, he's also their greatest national war hero. Uh, you know, based on two uh, incidents of defending the homeland. At a Micronations conference hosted by the University of Sunderland in 2004, Sealand was represented by Michael Bates's son, James. The facility is now occupied by one or more caretakers representing Michael Bates, who himself rides, uh, resides in Essex, England. So he lives ashore now. He probably lives a little bit more comfortable life, but he's got some people out there keeping an eye on the country for him. He's a, uh, a leader in exile. Sealand's constitution was instituted in 1974. It consists of a preamble and seven articles. The preamble asserts Sealand's independence. While the articles variously deal with Sealand's status as a constitutional monarchy, the empowerment of government bureaus, the role of an appointed advisory senate, the functions of an appointed advisory legal tribunal, a proscription against the bearing of arms except by members of a designated Sealand guard, the exclusive right of the sovereign to formulate foreign policy and alter the constitution, and the hereditary patrilinear succession of the monarchy. Basically meaning it goes to the oldest son. Sealand's legal system is claimed to follow British common law, and statutes take the form of decrees enacted by the sovereign. Sealand has issued fantasy passports, as termed by the Council of the European Union, which are not valid for international travel, uh, and it holds the Guinness World Record for the smallest area to lay claim to nation status. So it's smaller than the Vatican. But uh, the United Nations and basically every country that matters about making decisions in the world has decided that a place like Sealand, which is a tower, it's not, a, it's not an actual piece of land. It doesn't hold any official status. So it's still all kind of make-believe. Uh, Sealand's motto is Imare Libertas, from the sea, freedom. It appears on Sealandic items such as stamps, passports, and coins, and is the title of the Sealandic anthem. The anthem was composed by Londoner Basil Simonenko. Being an instrumental anthem, it does not have lyrics. In 2005, the anthem was recorded by the Slovak Radio Symphony Orchestra and released on their CD, National Anthems of the World, Volume 7, Qatar to Syria. That last sentence just cracks me up. So the reason I gave you some of that some of that shit at the end was just to point out how how deep and invested some of these these micronations can get when it comes to planning and regulating their country. Full blown constitutions, preambles, articles, uh, governmental systems, punishments, fines, fees, passports, international relations, foreign policy, the whole kit and caboodle. It's pretty wild. Um, if you guys enjoy the Micronation series, if you want to know more about Micronations, let me know, beardandbones at gmail.com. I love getting emails from you guys, and I don't ever get them. So uh, please write me an email. Tell me what you like about the show. Tell me what you don't. Tell me what you want to hear more of. Tell me what you want to learn about. I'll research it, and I'll talk about it on the show. If you got ideas for a segment, whatever it may be, beardandbones, gmail.com, beardandbones on the Instagram. Send me your ideas, and uh, if you like it, I'll do more about Micronations because there are several more interesting ones out there. Oh, that was a, that was a lot of reading. That was a lot. There was a lot going on there, huh? Um, it's going pretty good though. Having a good time. I thought about this earlier for the first time in a very long time. There's a cartoon, Puff the Magic Dragon. And I Googled it and I found it on YouTube and I'm going to watch it after this show, but for now, Puff, 
the magic dragon lived by the sea and frolicked in the autumn mist in a land called Hanali. Little Jackie Paper loved that rascal pop and brought him strings and sealing wax and other fancy stuff. Oh, Puff the Magic Dragon lived by the sea and frolicked in the autumn mist in a land called Hanali. Okay, 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 Jesus Christ. I didn't listen to that song before I played it for you. <laughs> and I forgot how fucking whiny it is. Good Lord. Hey, um, it reminds me of, there's a TV show, and, and I'll, I'll add it into a list next week or the week after probably as far as what I'm watching, but it's called What We Do in the Shadows. It's on FX. It's on Hulu. Uh, track it down. In season two, there's an episode where two of the characters, uh, uh, Ladia and, uh, Ladia, Laszlo and Nadia, Nadia and Laszlo, uh, enact a singing group, and, and the singing of that, Puff the Magic Dragon, which is, uh, of course, Peter, Paul, and Mary. Um, I don't like Peter, Paul, and Mary. I never have. Um... It's it's that shit. It's uh, it's the whiny, gargly. Uh, maybe I won't watch that later. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we're not going to do our lost city of gold. We'll do that next week. You guys can find out about that next week. Um, this week's entry before we close the show out into the Captain's Film Institute. Um, I watched a couple of movies today. It was a stoner day. I didn't get a lot done. I made a couple beaded necklaces because that's the thing I'm doing now. Uh, I'll tell you about that another time. And uh, I watched a couple good movies. I watched Harold and Kumar. watched Pineapple Express, uh, Half-Baked, um, Tenacious D and the Pick of Destiny. I don't do a lot of sleeping. I do a lot of movie watching. Um, <laughs> and I, I was trying to decide what movie do I want to talk about tonight for the Captain's Film Institute. I got to do a stoner movie. Because it's 420. It's just the way it's got to go. Next week, maybe we'll do something artistic, but it'll probably just be another fun comedy because that's what I like. Um, tonight, Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. 2004, the year I graduated high school. It was a pretty good year, 2004, as I think back on it. I really had a good time. Um, <clears throat> two, two, two buddies. Two guys that are just kind of kind of stoner dudes, young guys, you know, early 20s, trying to make it in the world. One guy's avoiding responsibilities, trying to avoid his family's expectations that he become a doctor, as per the stereotype of uh, of Indian men that uh, 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 Cal Penn has talked about several times uh, regarding the making of this uh, this movie. And John Cho plays his uh, roommate and best friend, and uh, he's just a, a low level schmuck working out a fucking corporate office, getting taken advantage of by his uh, by his coworkers, and he's kind of just a just a weak, you know, kind of spineless jellyfish of a man. Can't even talk to a pretty girl in the fucking elevator, even though she's clearly hinting at it. They get a little high and they decide to go on a late night adventure to find some fucking White Castle cheeseburgers. And they decide we are getting those burgers if it's the last thing we we do. They go on a whole range of adventures, including running into Neil Patrick Harris, playing Neil Patrick Harris, uh, who eventually became the inspiration for Neil, Neil Patrick Harris playing Barney Stinson on How I Met Your Mother. Uh, this is the movie that revitalized Doogie Hauser's career. And if Neil Patrick Harris didn't want the part, they were going to give it to Ralph Macchio, the karate kid. <laughs> so there's some fun trivia for you. Uh, the movie's got fucking everything. You don't need me to sell you on it. Um, if you've ever seen it, you know. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. It's a stoner movie. Expect that kind of comedy. Um, you know, just go lowbrow, have a couple drinks, fire up a fucking dube, eat a couple gummies, however you like to ingest your marijuanicals or your alcoholicals. Uh, you know, do that, and then watch the movie, and you'll like it, and it'll make you happy, and the ending makes you hungry. And Shit, now I want some fucking White Castle. I'm going to finish this fucking show so I can order some food. I'm hungry. Um, <laughs> I want something to eat, yo. Um... Here's the deal, guys. I think that might be all I got. <laughs> I think that might. <coughs> oh, pardon me. I think that might be everything I've got to say tonight. So um, before we close out the show, let's, uh, let's just put on some tunes. Let's vibe for a minute. Chill out. Take a breath before you go back to the real world. 
This is Nonsense the Show. Appreciate you guys tuning in. Episode 224. Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Last Dance with Mary Jane. Just listen to it for a minute. I'm going to chill. I'm going to vibe. You guys vibe with me. We're going to vibe together, and then we'll close it out, okay? Cool. She grew up in the Indiana town, had a good-looking mom. She never was around, but she grew up tall, and she grew up right with them Indiana boys on an Indiana night. Away was more than they'd seen. I was introduced and we both started grooving. She said, I dig you, baby, but I got to keep moving. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, as always, thank you for tuning in to Nonsense, the show. This is our special, uh, very special, super high quality 420 episode. Hope you guys have enjoyed it. I know I sure have. Um, It felt nice. It felt kind of mellow. Didn't feel so herky-jerky crazy zany as uh, as they normally get, right? (laughs) We'll be back next week. I'll tell you about A Lost City of Gold. I'll tell you about uh, Black Bartholomew Roberts. Uh, one of the originators of the Pirate Code, of course, one of the most successful pirates in the history of the golden age of piracy, and uh, a whole lot more. So, uh, hey, Tom, just chill for a minute. Just chill, Tom. Thanks. Appreciate you being here. Um, You know, here's something I do realize I need to do before I close out the show right now is I need to to set up my my exit song, which I haven't done. I don't don't know what we're going to close this motherfucker out with. And that's kind of a problem. So um, here's the deal. Thanks for coming. Appreciate you guys. Nonsense 224. Please, oh, please, oh, please support me on Patreon. Every dollar helps. Uh, you will be helping me achieve a goal. You will help me build a new life. Um, I will tell you guys about that soon. I got a calendar to make. I got a whole bunch of shit. Nonsense 224. Patreon.com. Thanks so much. Love you. Bye. Nothing like a warm fire and a super soaker of fine cognac. Fuck this shit, I'm out. Mm-mm. Fuck this shit, I'm out. No thanks. Don't mind me. I'ma just grab my stuff and leave. Excuse me, please. Fuck this shit, I'm out. Nope. Fuck this shit, I'm out. All right, then. I don't know what the fuck just happened, but I don't really care. I'ma get the fuck up out of here. Fuck this shit, I'm out.